You're listening to the Earn That Podcast, episode number 187. Welcome to the Earn That Body Show with Kim Eagle. Kim is an award-winning personal trainer. She trains her clients all over the world online and is passionate about empowering people by getting fit and healthy. podcast. I hope you're doing well. We are moving into summer season. Of course, I never know when you're going to listen to this podcast. You could be listening in the winter, but when it launches, we are in June. It is getting warmer. People are getting into bathing suits. We are still dealing with COVID and, you know, six foot separation and distancing and all the joy that is going on in the world today. But I hope that you are happy. I hope that you are healthy and that your families are healthy as well. And also hope that you are ready to embrace summer season feeling fantastic because everybody deserves to put a bathing suit on and feel confident and feel healthy. And that is really all I want for all of you. So wishing you a great summer season ahead. I have a great podcast episode today and I'm going to call it That Is Not The Workout. So we're going to get to that after this. And now, it's time for the Eagle's Eye on Health. These are Kim's quick tips, latest health news, or piece of weekly inspiration. This week's Eagle Eye on Health, brought to you by Idea Fitness Journal, talks about there's trouble brewing. And they're talking about hot tea. I found this to be fascinating and yet not a surprise at all. What it says is that in recent years, plenty of research has shown us that a daily tea habit can have some steep health benefits. But guess what? If you dunk tea bags in steamy water, you might be drinking microplastics with your brew, according to researchers at Quebec's McGill University. Now they found that steeping tea bags made with plastic, and yes, surprise, many bags are made from plastics like polyethylene terephthalate at a brewing temperature of 203 degrees Fahrenheit released 11.6 billion microplastics and 3.1 billion nanoplastics into a single cup of tea. Now this comes on the heels of other research showing that plastic is increasingly finding its way into the food chain in everything we're taking in from beer to seafood. And we still don't know if there are any health concerns associated with the amount of microplastics, pieces measuring less than they say five millimeters in any dimension, you would take in from a cup or more of tea each day. However, you can lower this exposure by purchasing your tea from brands that make their bags only from paper or by being extra cautious and choosing loose leaf options which serve the dual purpose of creating less waste. So doesn't surprise me. Um, I like to use actually loose leaf tea that I put in those metal, the little metal balls uh, that you then dunk in the hot water. So I don't wanna use the paper even or the plastic when I can avoid it. I'm not saying I never use the paper, but it is something that I've thought about before because there's some really pretty teas, but I always like wonder, I'm like, I feel the, the mesh bag that it's in and I've always thought, 
I don't know if that's supposed to sit in hot water for long periods of time. So interesting that this research is now coming out. It's always best to be cautious in my opinion, even though they'll say like, oh, it's such a small amount of plastic that gets in your tea. Is it really going to matter? I personally say it matters. Like I don't want to ingest any plastic for that matter. I don't want heavy metals in my supplements. I don't, even if it's a very small allowable amount, it's a personal choice. I don't want it. So good research to know, something to think about the next time you go and buy your tea. Maybe you can check and see what the box says in terms of what the tea comes in. Now today's podcast episode is called, That Is Not The Workout. Now I gotta tell you, I'm amazed at all the workouts that are around these days. And some are awesome, and some are not so awesome. I test a lot of classes out there. Um, I do a lot of online classes, a lot of online videos and streaming, and I love to test out different trainers and uh, you know the latest of this and that. And I have to say the biggest challenge that I come to with most of the classes, again, I've tried a couple um, before COVID, I was starting to take some some live classes just to, just to see what's out there. I like to always keep it fresh. But now mostly everything I've been testing out is online. And like I said, I have to say my biggest challenge with these classes is that, is that the trainers either have terrible form and yet they're considered influencers, which is so scary to me, and that's really and truly a whole podcast in itself. Or a workout says something like full body strength workout, and then I'm like, great, that's what I want today, a full body strength workout, and then I put it in, and it didn't include any chest or triceps. Well, FYI, full body to me means full body. Now, sometimes I do have a a full body video that doesn't include core, and that's only because I have core workouts that are separate that you can add onto it. But if I say this is a full body workout, I can assure you it's gonna include chest and triceps, okay? So um, the last thing I see is that also very common workouts are not being done properly. And that's what I mean by that is not the workout. So things like HIIT training, high intensity interval training, Tabata, the long run, or even a low impact or low heart rate bike ride. These things are being done more and more online and trainers are giving out these workouts for these really sort of, I don't wanna call them generic workouts, but these are like main workouts that people do now, right? Like HIIT training, Tabata, and they are not being done correctly. So I thought I would cover these today so that you can understand what these workouts were actually intended when they were created and how they're supposed to be done. Because when these workouts are done correctly, they are super effective. But when trainers are making up things within these workouts, I don't really know that they are super effective. So let's get started with HIIT training. You've heard about it, it's been around for many years, it was all the rage at one time, high intensity interval training. Now, intensity is the key of HIT training. That means you are going to be working hard, right? Now, HIT was designed as a cardio session arranged as these very short bursts of very hard work. And the whole point of high intensity training is to kick up the intensity of the cardio. Now, in order to qualify as true HIT, 
you need to push yourself to the max in every set. And that's why these intervals are generally short. It could be anywhere from 20, I would say at a max of 90 seconds because that's about how long you can sustain this very intense level. It's the opposite of say going for a long run where you want to ration your energy in order to sustain the longer time frame. Now the other aspect of HIT that's super important is that you have to take breaks to fully rest. And these breaks to rest are defining elements of HIT training. And I'm saying it like that because a lot of people are missing this defining element. Now, what might not come to mind when you think about a high intensity interval training is the word rest. But here's the deal with HIT: Rest periods between each set are an essential part of the workout. If you do not take the time to recover fully, you're not doing HIT training. And this is where I see so many workouts and trainers doing HIT wrong. Recovering before the next interval push has to happen, and this is why. Forcing your body to repeatedly acclimate between two very different states provides the excellent cardio conditioning you're looking for, and that's what was intended, intended when HIT was created. When the body works to adapt from the anaerobic, which is that high intensity period, to the low intensity recovery period, this workload results in high caloric expenditure, which is what HIT has always been touted for. Now the rest periods are needed to prepare the body and enable it to truly perform at its max during the next high intensity spurt that you're gonna have. Now that you know the basics, here's how to make sure your workout is hitting it right. Get it? Ha <laughs> ha. A good place to start for beginners, if you've, if you've never done HIT or you want to do it on your own, you can totally create your own HIT workout, write a few uh, moves down and do it like this, and you're going to get a great workout. A good place to start if you are a beginner is a one to two ratio of work to rest. So basically, you want to go all out on any chosen activity for, say, 30, 60, or 90 seconds, and then rest for twice as long, and then start again on your next set. And as you get better and more fit, you can transition to maybe a one-to-one -one ratio, and that would mean 30 seconds on, 30 seconds off, or 60 seconds on, 60 seconds off. But when you're just getting started, work out hard for one and recover for twice as long. Now you can sprint, you can use a bike, you can run stairs, it's all technically HIIT training. You can do anything you want, any move at all. You can do jumping jacks, you can do burpees, as long as it's intense, and then you get to take that recovery. Now, what am I seeing far too often? All I see is trainers going hard, 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 and then they barely let you recover. So if you go out for to do like a running HIIT workout and you sprint all out, you need to walk to get the heart rate down fast enough before you can start your next set because the goal is to recover. That means the heart rate is down at a comfortable place again. And if you were sprinting and that heart rate got up, 
you want to probably walk to get the heart rate down. I have to, at least. So many workouts these days I have seen, especially for running, they want you to jog between the sprints. And I don't know about you, but I can't sprint my hardest and then jog and get my heart rate down fast enough and in time before I have to do the next set. Now, it's funny because in my willpower workout program, there are hit cardio videos, and I was surprised how many people commented on how much they loved the recovery period in those videos because it helped them catch their breath. And I was thinking, well, that's the whole point of HIT. But I didn't realize how many people had been doing HIT wrong at this point and had been doing all these HIT workouts, working hard, and then they don't get a chance to recover before the next push. So you really have to recover. Um, Otherwise, you might notice you can't keep pushing to your hardest level if you're not going to get those recoveries in. So slowly you're diminishing the ability to push your hardest. Another issue with HIT that I see far too often is that trainers and clubs and programs are pushing you to do a lot of HIT classes. It's really intense HIT training. It is really only supposed to be done one to two times a week max. And they say that. The people who created HIIT training and when the research was done, this was not something that was supposed to be done every day. It really is supposed to be a really tough workout. And you don't want to do that daily or you'll definitely shoot the adrenals out very quickly. So now you know what to do. Make sure you walk. Make sure you rest. Now, I always say like in my cardio HIIT videos, don't just come to a stop. You want to be marching. You want to keep the body moving or walking, but you need to take the full rest so that then you can go and max out again. Now, the next workout that I see where I say that is not the workout are the Tabata workouts. Now, let me tell you a little bit about the history of Tabata. Tabata training was discovered by Japanese scientist Dr. Izumi Tabata and a team of researchers from the National Institute of Fitness and Sports in Tokyo. This was a long long time ago. I don't actually have the year. Um, Tabata and his team conducted research on two groups of athletes. The first group trained at a moderate intensity level, while the second group trained at a high intensity level. The moderate intensity group worked out five days a week for a total of six weeks. Each workout lasted one hour. The high-intensity group worked out four days a week for six weeks, and each workout lasted four minutes with 20 seconds on, 10 seconds of rest in between each set. Now, the results. Group one had increased their aerobic system, cardiovascular that is, but showed little or no results for their anaerobic system. Group two showed much more increase in their aerobic system than group one, and increased their anaerobic system by 28%. In conclusion, high intensity training like this has more impact on the aerobic and the anaerobic systems. Now, the Tabata program. How is it done? What exactly is it? Each exercise in a given Tabata workout lasts only four minutes, but it's likely to be one of the longest four minutes of your life. The structure of the Tabata in the four minutes is that you work out hard for 20 seconds and then you rest for 10. That's it. It's 20 on, 10 off, 20 on, 10 off, and you complete that for eight rounds. That's four minutes long. 
You push yourself as hard as you can for the 20 seconds. You only get 10 seconds of rest, whether you're rested or not. And that's one set. Again, you'll do it eight times. You can do pretty much any exercise you wish. That's how people do Tabata. You can do squats, you can do push-ups. you can do burpees, or any exercise that works your large muscle groups, that's what they recommend. Kettlebell exercises work great too. Now example of a Tabata workout could look like this. First move, push-ups. You do that eight times, four minutes total. Then you might move into squats, eight times, four minutes total. Again, that's 20 seconds on of squats, 10 seconds off, 20 on, 10 off for four minutes. Then you might go into burpees, then mountain climbers. So you do all of those as your workout, four minutes total for each move. Starting with the push-ups, as I said, you're gonna perform them 20 seconds at high intensity, rest for 10. And then go back to doing them 20 seconds high intensity and back to 10. Eight times, move on to the next move. Now, Tabata is a great workout, especially when you don't have a lot of time. Um, so when you're short on time, pick four or five moves. There you go. Do it in a Tabata fashion. Uh, it's, it really is fantastic. I used to teach it all the time. Um, we used to use a timer because you've got to stay on the 2010, right? Uh, generally, it is a hard work for the 20 on and then the 10 off, but it's a little different than hit because in hit, 10 seconds would probably not be enough to get that full recovery, right? So it's similar in that you push hard and you take a break, except again, that rest period is a lot shorter. Now, this is great. I see people do it and they love it, but I also see people teaching Tabata and they are not doing 20 seconds on, 10 seconds off. They just make up intervals and that's fine, but that's interval training. That's not Tabata. <laughs> that is not the workout. So a lot of people don't realize that. And an interesting thing to note about Tabata, just so you know, is that it was originally tested for biking. So, you know, the research they did and the research they found and the results they found did revolve around biking. Doesn't mean it's not good today, doesn't mean it's not a good workout, but again, it, it might be best for bikes. I don't know how much they've done a lot of research on when you do burpees or when you do it as a strength training workout. Like I don't know that it's gonna have the same benefits, right? So again, what I see trainers do wrong is that they're just doing interval training. They're not doing 20 seconds on and 10 seconds off and they're not doing it for eight sets of a particular movement. So maybe nitpicky, but Tabata is a very specific format for a very specific reason. That's the research that was done that created the workout. So just to keep in mind the next time you do Tabata. And if you wanna create your own, like I said, it's so easy. And there's Tabata timer apps out there. So it's like write down five exercises, four exercises, and boom, go ahead and put your timer on. And I promise you, again, will feel like it is the longest <laughs> four minutes of your life during each particular move. Now, the next workout where I say that is not the workout, the long run. A lot of runners do their long runs on the weekend, maybe not always on the weekend, but almost everybody does their long run on the weekend. And there's a reason, they usually have the most time to do a long run on the weekend. But are you sabotaging your long run by running the wrong pace? Now, Mo Farah, Olympian runner, reportedly runs around 120 miles per week. 
And he says that 80% of the 120 miles per week is at a very easy pace. There is no doubt, they say, that he and Galen Rupp, (laughs) another Olympian, fantastic runner, are having a good old chat as they run up and down the hills when they used to train together. So being able to run and have a good, easy, fun chat means what? That you're running at a slow and easy pace. Now, what most recreational runners get wrong is that running, quote unquote, easy, They say it doesn't feel right, it doesn't feel hard enough, so they intuitively run at a moderate pace, kidding themselves that they're running easy. But they struggle to hold a conversation, they're sweating heavily, their face is red, (laughs) and it's a giveaway that that is not an easy paced run. That is not the run that Mo Farah is doing on his long days with Galen Rupp when he can have a casual conversation. Running at an easy pace, and by that I mean well into the aerobic zone, which is around 70% of your maximum heart rate, is actually hard to do for most of us. Now, you have to slow down a lot to run at a comfortable heart rate pace, and it sometimes feels like you're not going anywhere. But all I can say is it's important to stick with it and to do that not faster. In time, honestly, sometimes just a few weeks, your body will adapt, your pace will quicken, but the effort level will be the same or even less. It'll take less effort, obviously. And what you're doing in that situation is you're sort of becoming more super efficient and that aerobic base is fully building. This is something that I work on every week right now. I give myself a 20 minute run test on the treadmill where the first time I did it, I ran and I tried to keep my heart rate. I believe my 70% is 133 heart rate. And so I had to, I ran over like an 11 minute mile and I could barely keep my heart rate down in the 133s. I think I was at like 137 the first time. And that was over an 11 minute mile, which seemed like I was practically walking. And it's incredibly frustrating because you're like, I'm not going to do this. I'm not even getting a workout and blah, 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 blah. And you're going to have every excuse in the world why you can't do it. But I said, I'm going to keep doing this. I'm going to work on low heart rate training. And so a lot of the focus that I've done over the last several weeks is working at a lower heart rate for a lot of my cardio. Well, every week when I do the 20 minute test now, what I've seen is my heart rate is coming down. My pace is getting faster. So I just completed today after I don't know how many five weeks of doing this. I am now at almost under a 10 minute pace and I'm still now I'm under my 133 heart rate. I think I hit 132. So I'm doing it. It's happening every week. My heart rate has come down and my pace has come up. So yes, it can be done. It's not about speed. It's not about ego. It's not about how many calories you burn. It's about getting your aerobic zone to a place where you can go on these long runs because your long runs have to be aerobic to be sustainable. Now, how slow should your long runs be? Well, if you're using heart rate as a guide, 
then you are sort of being scientific about it and you can work out your heart rate training zones and try to keep that heart rate at around 70% of your max, which is what I've been doing. And if you wanna go down this route, just go online and find a max heart rate calculator and they have all kinds of running calculators that will help you figure out your 70% max. And I promise you, when you input these numbers, you're gonna see a heart rate and you're gonna say, I could never run and get my heart rate that low. (laughs) And so you're just gonna say, I'm not gonna do it. Like, I can't tell you how many people will just say, I can't do it, no. And that's the end. They don't even wanna try, they don't wanna work on it. It does come in time. Now, if you don't wanna use heart rate, you can also use your pace as a guide. Um, doesn't always have to be heart rate. Your optimal long run pace, they say, is between 55 and 75% of your 5K pace. So with the average pace, they say around 65%. So if you've run a recent 5K as a race, you kind of have to run it as a race, not just go out and casually run 3.1. Actually go out and run a 5K race, then you can figure out your 55 to 75% from that. Now, from research, running faster than 75% of your 5K pace on your long run doesn't provide a lot of additional physiological benefit. Therefore, pushing the pace beyond 75% of the 5K pace only serves to make you more tired and hamper your recovery. So there's no point. Stop pushing. (laughs) And I get it. Even I have to really consciously hold back my long run pace. Although I try to use heart rate more than pace and I also try to go by how I feel, um, so a comfort level as well. So sometimes I try not to look at my watch all the time, I just try, can I have a conversation? How do I feel right now? And go by that as well. And again, there's all kinds of calculators online to help you assess your long run pace. If you don't wanna use heart rate, you can definitely um, go, there's Jack Daniels VDOT calculator, which I really love. It tells me that if I run a four hour marathon, then my easy run pace would be a 10-11 to an 11-11 pace. Can you see? And that for some people is fast, I understand that. But that's a slower pace, that's great. And that's how you should look at your long run days. I don't have to push it today. I'm gonna go for a long time, but I don't have to go hard. So really honoring that is what makes the long run a beneficial workout. And if you're going faster than that, or if your heart rate is so high during your long run, then that is not the workout. You're not doing it properly. You're not gonna get the benefits that your body absolutely deserves, all right? Now the last workout that I would say that is not the workout is when I see uh, a class online, a workout online that says your easy bike ride. Um, The final workout being the easy bike ride, I kind of see the easy bike kind of like the long run. It's supposed to be a bike ride that's at an easy pace. It's the easy bike day for a reason for most people who are doing some kind of training. Now, when I trained with Natasha Vundermer, when she was my triathlon coach for Ironman, and she would say to me, this isn't, I want you to get on the bike for 30 minutes. I want you to get on and ride easy. And she meant easy. Like she meant for me, well under a hundred watts. That's like easy. I think sometimes I was at 60 watts 
And that's where my heart rate was like completely where she wanted it. And it felt like I was pushing almost no resistance. And that's what she wanted. And I follow my coach to a T. So that's what I did. Because an easy bike has a function. And if you have it in a training plan or you're doing it for a particular reason, it's because it's supposed to be easy. You might just be flushing out your legs, but you're not supposed to get your heart rate up. Now, I see far too many people pushing the easy bike day, um, like I see people pushing the easy run day, right? And they tell me, I get this all the time, my clients will be like, well, I'm just gonna get on my Peloton and do one of their easy low heart rate classes or their low impact class as my easy run today or my easy day with my mobility, because we do mobility videos. And I always sort of question, well, can I see what your heart rate is during that workout? And so if they have a heart rate monitor, they show me and their heart rate is way too high. And I've even tested the low impact rides of the Peloton. And I I do love the Peloton, but their low impact rides are not necessarily easy bikes. And by no means, they are not necessarily low heart rate. So don't fool yourself to think that low impact is going to mean an easy ride or an easy heart rate day. That's just not what I have seen at this point. So if you have some kind of easy bike day or you're trying to flush out your legs because that's what your coach is telling you to do, listen to what they want because bike easy means pretty much super low heart rate, super casual, not hard. It's somewhat relaxing. You should get off the bike and feel like you didn't work out. That's how it should feel. (laughs) It shouldn't feel any different than that. You should get out the bike and feel like you haven't worked out. It's basically an active recovery workout that is meant to flush things out, but is not meant to burn any calories or create muscle fatigue. So there you have it. That is not the workout. But now I have educated you and you know how to do HIIT training properly, how to do a Tabata work properly. You're going to go out and crush your long run because you're going to be nice and relaxed and comfortable and you're not going to get your heart rate too high. You're going to have a nice, easy pace like Mo Farah, right? And just like Mo Farah, I'm sure. And if you are told to bike easy or you're trying to have an easy active recovery day, you're not going to push it. You're not going to push a a low impact ride that actually isn't super low heart rate by any means. You're going to go easy. That's what I wanted you to know about these particular workouts, how to do them right, how to make sure that they are the most effective for your needs. Because honestly, why do a workout if you're doing it and not getting results? To me, that's the most interesting thing. Like when I do see people who work out with a trainer week after week and their body never changes, I always sort of wonder, are they not following the workout plan? Are these workouts not effective for them? Or is it potentially because their nutrition is so off track? But you want your workout to be effective, right? Like when my clients do a workout and when I create workout programs online, like earn that muscle or shred that body, every program I have has an intention. And the workout program is created so you can reach a goal. And by doing that, the way you do it is that you have to make sure that the workouts in that program have a build, have a plan so that you can reach an actual goal. I mean, just working out to work out is great, but don't you want to get results? 
Because to me, that's what's so exciting. Like, oh my God, I lost weight or I can now bench press this amount or I can now do this amount of pull-ups or I achieved that goal because I always wanted to be able to do X and I did this program and now I can do it. Like you want to get results because results is what keeps you going and it keeps you motivated. And that's always super important that you find ways to keep yourself motivated for health and fitness because that will keep you going in life. That's everything for today. Don't forget, this is an ads-free podcast. So if you ever want to say thank you, the best way to do that is to give me a rating and review. You can go right to iTunes or if you have an iPhone on the Apple podcast, you can even leave a review there. And your review is so appreciated because I do the podcast every week for free. It is my volunteer work where I like to give back to the community. Paying health forward is my goal with the podcast. But when you give a rating and review, it helps more viewers see my podcast. So that rating and review is super appreciated. And instead of doing it later, maybe you can grab your phone and do it right now. All right, everyone, have a great week. Earn That Body Podcast, always here to bring you fitness, nutrition, and health information you can put into play right away. For more information about Kim Eagle's online programs, go to earnthatbody.com or check out Earn That Body on all forms of social media, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, and YouTube. 